0: Hello and welcome to U.S. Consulting Academy. My name's JJ. This is U.S. Consulting Podcast Episode 5 with Jacob Harris. Jacob, how are you doing?
1: No complaints, just uh, living in new
0: fatherland. New fatherland, absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned you have a kid. How old is the kid?
1: She just turned nine weeks, so she's a little one.
0: Whoa whoa at the very beginning wow
1: yeah yeah lots of adorable this and very little
0: sleep absolutely Uh, i can imagine
1: (laughs) she started smiling at me though so like my heart's completely been melted this morning already
0: that's incredible that's a really incredible thing wow great stuff hey so for for everyone listening that might not be familiar with with yourself and with your work it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and and what you've been doing in ux that'd be awesome
1: yeah, sure. So um, I go actually way back to the bygone days of the first dot com boom. I was um, just out of high school living in San Francisco and started doing graphic design just because, you know, especially when you're 18, 19, at that point in time, it was pretty easy money around town, uh, you know, just gigging around. And um, actually parlayed that into a small agency uh, in Spain about 20 years ago. And I sold that. This was down in Sevilla, Spain. And I sold that, came here, um, got really into uh, flash programming. So we're talking like early to mid-aughts. And did that for a number of years, which is actually where my device experience came in. I have a kind of lucky in hindsight to get device experience a little earlier because I was working on things like kiosks and uh, interactive presentations in the mid-aughts. Um, and then around 2008, I um, worked for a now defunct startup down in the Bay Area that um, was uh, it was an ROI it was basically an ROI metrics company for web advertising, and so um, that was really where I dipped my toes in the water of UX. And that started with I think literally a conversation with a friend and mentor of mine um, who's a designer, and I was just like you know at that point I was, I was looking at everything. I was like, well, we've never really talked to the users. Like we have all these design ideas, but like what, you know, how do we know what we're really building? And he's like, you mean like, you need to design the user experience. And I was like, yeah, that's a good word for it. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, yeah. So it started from there. So, um, you know, I've been doing UX since then for about 12 years, working in um, both startups and established companies and some gigs at agencies. Um, mostly focused on SaaS. Um, I think, just given my sort of um, commitment level and temperament, I think being in the long haul and being able to see a product payoff over the long haul really that suits me best personally. Um, and I've been in my current company for a little over two years now, Cvent Inc, um, who is a uh, really dynamic and, and, and uh, large presence within the event planning realm. Um, you know, I think people, I'll give the little spiel here just to understand the company better. People think of, you know, travel online and, you know, bookings, all that sort of stuff as being, you know, Expedia, Kayak, etc., Airbnb. And that's really only about 30% of the market. The other 70% or so is actually involved around large-scale events, whether it be for, uh, you know, private, government, et cetera. Um, you know, down to things like weddings, obviously. And so that's what our company manages. I um, work in the hospitality end of things. Um, right now, doing a major overhaul of a couple um couple major systems I don't know how much I can actually talk about but um, we're talking making very long turbo style forms more fun and more
0: usable for people so Hmm.
1: and uh, yeah so that's me up to now
0: Uh, wow yeah that's interesting Um, and so you started in the in the graphic design work and then kind of went through it like that uh, it kind of makes me think. so the 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 image you have in the background, you mentioned it was a record, yeah,
1: David Axelrod record, and I completely forgot the name of it, which is just a total total bad look for me because I love David Axelrod's music. I can actually look it up. <laughs> cool. I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff. He got he was heavily sampled by a lot of hip hop dJs back in the um, and not David. this is not David Axelrod, the democratic strategist by the way this is the musician david axelrod who passed away i think about uh four, three or four years ago uh songs of innocence song of innocence is what the album is called um okay. but anyway yes. Yeah, so he was sampled a lot by djs particularly like dj shadow back in the 90s um and it's just i tell i tell everybody to go look, listen to his music it's just especially for working it's like funky but mellow and you can just kind of sit there and nod your head and you know mash buttons
0: perfect yeah you know i, I never know what kind of music to play whilst working so you don't want it to be too heavy or yeah. too much of a strong melody but at the same time you don't want to listen to something that's boring so how do you find that perfect yeah no
1: i know yeah it's a hard one i i mean
0: hard life. i think it's one reason it's <laughs> at? So it's a hard life, you know. Uh, <laughs> it is a hard life, I know. It's a problem. I mean, this
1: is serious. One reason I'm so behind on hip-hop is because I listen to music while I work and I just, because it's so lyrically focused, I can't listen to it, you know, while I'm working. I mean, uh, I think my preference lately has been Afrobeat. I've been listening to a lot of Felakuti. Um, even though there are lyrics, it doesn't seem to really invade my headspace
0: yeah no. yeah it has the kind of rhythm that's sort of you know, don't get kind of lost in yeah. it sort of just there on the periphery and it makes yeah, sense it's
1: nice drone to, to it you know
0: yeah um well, hey so for me for music you know what i end up just listening to um pretty random stuff uh Comtruse is a favorite right now so i'm listening to a lot of him yeah um just, uh, and then other music that I don't even know the name of it just comes up on Spotify and I just play it and it's like uh, that sounds cool yeah just like that and just play it again at some point um, that's pretty much my podcast yeah yeah a podcast yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> um, hey <laughs> so there's, DJ. There's... yeah USDJ that, that'd be fun actually that'd be a really cool idea um, hey it mentions um, online you have um, this bio I think it's on UX Matters you're an author there and it says that you have a uh, an interest in ux research for validating business models so that was really interesting yeah. it kind of reminded me of a book uh business model generation a, a very visual book yeah. that i read a while ago um Alex after
1: so, while there,
0: yeah. yeah absolutely yeah uh so what what uh what is it about that process that that you like um well i
1: mean i think there's a few things um i you know I, I guess one of them was is just from being in the startup world for as long as i was and watching money you know just good money being thrown after bad because so i mean and like we've seen that with WeWork, right that's a prime example but of course before you know we work and its multi-billion dollar valuation just hit the ground you know there's been countless small endeavors that you know i mean small meaning millions in vc funding that really, um, you know, <laughs> crash and burn, and <laughs> and 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 that's a way. I mean, you know, look, well, wealth, wealth and resources are finite. I mean, I think it's easy to forget that in the tech world because there's so much money being thrown around. So I think, like, from personal principles, it's like, well, let's, you know, it's it's like anything generative. It's like let's start simple, look at this, move through the idea, and see if it has legs, right? Um, so for me, it's just, um, you know, and then practically that means it's just another extension of, um, you know, design thinking. Um, it's really, you know, it's really assessing something and, um, and like I said, just seeing, you know, if it works beyond just being a good idea in principle. Mm. So that's really comes for me. Now, the other part is, is just personally, I really enjoy it. I mean, I think like I'm a talker. Um. You know, I'm weird because I'm kind of an introvert talker. Like after a couple of hours, I get pretty exhausted being around people. But while I'm in the, you know, while I'm on, I'm on. And um, so to be able to run through uh, that with other people and get other people and you know, particularly potential founders involved in the process of thinking out loud and really thinking as, as designers um, is also just really rewarding. Um, and, you know, I've... <laughs> I've had both good and I wouldn't say good and bad. I've had both positive and negative outcomes happen with this right there. I've had, uh, this is a couple of years ago. And I was working with these guys who had done really well for themselves. their brothers in another industry. And they wanted to, um, you know, get into the tech world, not really knowing something, but they had this idea and uh, they were, they were religious guys, very principled. Um, and you know, so it was all based around charity, uh, but you know, we sat there for two days, uh, six hours a day, and just could not make it work, right? Um, and this was in a room with myself, them, a business analyst, um, you know someone that was uh, someone that was charged with the product ownership of the product. And you know, so so sometimes you hit dejection, you know. but um I've also had other cases where kind of like in the classic like, uh, Twitter scenario where, you know, they were focusing on the wrong thing to sell. Um, And so, um, you know, so I think that there is that just ability to be there in the moment and be both a participant and a fly on the wall, That's very rewarding. But yeah, you know, um, I enjoy it. I'd I'd probably say that's what I enjoy the most about the design process is that uh, generative thinking that, you know, collaborate in those intense collaborative sessions.
0: Yeah. I hear what you're saying. It's those moments when you're working to really understand the value of a potential products or a service or whatever it's going to be. That sort of ideation stage where you're really fleshing out the ideas. That's definitely yeah. a really fun part of the process. And I I know what you mean because it's important, especially in the beginning. And I think people often think that, okay, validating the the business. So it sounds positive. It sounds like, oh, we're going to just do this, then it'll be great <laughs> but like as you yeah. say there's moments when you there's times when you do that and then well you invalidate the solution meaning you have to do something else so and that's the whole point so uh but, but right. a really interesting part of it yeah
1: yeah i mean you know i'd rather have these guys spend a you know a few thousand bucks on us just to figure out if the ideal will work than throw their life savings and their own successful businesses down the drain and
0: yeah May not be so great, you know. Absolutely. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um I mean in terms of like so right now with a lot of companies going out of out of business and things sort of shifting and changing quite a lot, um, what kind of effect does that have on on validating business ideas and different models of business now with everything having to move so much into a digital transformation type of um solution? Yeah. yeah.
1: So I've been you know, pretty dedicated at my company um, for the last couple of years. So I haven't been doing much uh, consulting on that, but I mean, I think, you know, as an overall trend um, it's, you know, at this point, it's kind of following the market. Um, You know, I, I think, you know, it's, I'm, I'm stammering a little bit because I'm trying, I've been thinking about this and I haven't really gotten a clear idea of my, idea myself. I mean, one thing I think overall is that um, things that are going to do well, obviously web-based services, but I think things that are based more around consumable design, right? Um, And I think that was already a trend that was happening that um, is just going to be accelerated by this crisis. So, you know, me personally, just from my own anecdotal kind of outlook on the market, um, I would not be chasing after startup money right now. unless it was around, um, you know, things within the consumable design and, um, consumable services arena. Um, yeah, that's just, that's hey, just my, hey, well, my advice as a designer.
0: Cool. Uh, what do you say consumable design is that, well, what kind of products are that?
1: So that consumable design, it can be anything from, um, you know, building out design systems, right. Or, um, or um, the uh, the creation of um, things like um, you know pattern libraries, app builders, things like that. To um, the you know the the usage of um, sorry, I'm totally blanking out on this one. But like I said, this is something that I've just kind of started forming an idea around. But yeah, you know, to the consumption of um, Services that utilize design um, as a way to increase the overall customer experience, especially vis-a-vis being in um, you know separated social situations, right? So, I mean, generally, I was you know I was talking about a year ago with someone who was a um, aspiring UX designer, and uh, we you know and this is kind of where I was starting to formulate this idea, and one thing I really told them was you know look I think generally as a designer where the money is is where you can sort of manage things right so um, not necessarily production but um, the you know the ability to um, oversee and uh, determine the overall branding and design path of something so I think that's what i'm what i mean when i'm talking about things like consumable design is that where we you have this sort of nexus of um uh you know again kind of preset patterns but also ai and um non-human centered production of design if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah well really interesting yeah we had a guy on um i think it was two episodes ago uh, who does a lot of mm-hmm. work into AI stuff? Had a really interesting conversation about that. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, though. So work that will be towards making a customer experience better through uh, products and services that might not necessitate and you know some kind of offline process. But yeah, design yeah. systems that that that. Yeah. At that. Mm. I mean, generally, I think yeah. if
1: you're yeah, and I think generally if you're um, Talking about a consumer good, there are lots of verticals to sell and grow consumer good vi- businesses that don't necessarily require, you know, reinventing the wheel, a whole new website, or, uh, you know, an intensive, intensive human design social media campaign, for example. Um, you know, and again, I, I think that kind of gets back to the overall market shift, where you have a lot of what are basically analog businesses um, acting as if they're startups, right.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah really really interesting stuff um so for for people that perhaps might be just getting started in doing ux now even though this is a very mm-hmm. sort of you know uh, interesting place to be in terms of the market um so one of the questions i sometimes get is how do you take your your research and then start putting that into the design so you've done all this research great mm-hmm. you know how then how, how do you then take that and start crafting out the experience design or um if we we're doing business model validation, once you've done that research, how do you apply that into the um into the process of of the design work
1: yeah so I mean, I don't think I do anything particularly unique when it comes to fleshing out designs um you know within just sort of a normal um, discovery iterate you know an iteration process um You know, I think again, it's always important to keep things light and you know, light touch initially, and to um, get your research done up front. So um, that's you know, that's anyone starting out. That's kind of my my advice. Is like the biggest thing you can do is push to um, be even if you're a unique designer. And I think this might get into the agile stuff we were talking about over email. Even if you are the only UX designer in the company, pushing to make a UX org and I realize a lot of that is based on experience and personality and so forth but there are just certain fundamentals of um, user experience design that need to um, be acknowledged and allowed for um, within an organization otherwise what you are is a glorified UI designer and so um, you know, I like I say, I would. My big thing is always like stick to the research. You know, do your research. If unless you have a research team available, of course. Um, but even then, I would say talk to you know talking to stakeholders is still research, and it's good to have that first-person context. And then, um, yeah, keep it light and um, have, you know get others to start thinking like designers. I'm a huge fan of design studios, even if it's just for a couple hours. Um, You know, it's the the ability to, a, avoid playing ping pong for weeks with something that's probably resolvable if you get enough people in the room, and b, um, getting you know actionable ideas is just immeasurable. Doing those sorts of things, so like I said, it's just it's not that unique. But um, you know, if you want my own anecdotal experience, it works, Um, and I think it's really important um, to push for that and to make that. know, standard process within an organization. Now, as far as what you were saying with um, business model generation, that's like a little, that's a, my experience has been that's a little more roundabout. Um, Because I think the first thing you're going to get once you walk out of that meeting is really a brief. You know, I mean, so you're not even in design at that point. I mean, it's, it's, this is the direction. Tell us what you, you know, that, that we all assess. Tell us what you think. Um, and then you start getting into, okay, well, what does this look like? Right? So you start talking, you're starting really high level. You're starting at kind of big gestalt of something. Um, and, you know, from there, I think it's, this is where it's just good to have a toolkit. There's no set way. You know, I, I couldn't give you a straight path on it. Um, you know, obviously, I like journey mapping things a lot. Um, but if we're kind of starting at an even higher level, um, I'm going to want to get our, our internal team into a room, start talking about, um, you know, what the ultimate end goals are here, right? So what are our critical paths? Um, who are preson- personas, even if they, they are presumptive? And by the way, I'm not a huge fan of personas. What I'm really talking about, I think are um, you know basically uh, the presumptive pass ba- based on a couple identified um, user stereotypes that still need to be validated, right? I mean, ultimately, I want to see how the job gets done um, more than, you know un- try to absorb how someone with an alli- alliterative name that doesn't exist might be thinking about what a button does. So, um, but you know, there's still something. There is still something in personas that's good, and that's understanding. You know, why someone's motivations and what that critical path is. Um, you know, so that's one tool. I think another thing is is really just, um, you know, sketching. Basically, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I've you know, we've gotten people together before within these within these sort of post um, validation exercises and just sort of sketched out what this thing might look like right um obviously again your brief is still in place so it is you know so everyone has some sort of common foundation about what they're talking about but you know when you're in a room full of whiteboards um and and you got the knowledge from a few different critical viewpoints why not start you know working on it immediately um, you know obviously again light touch that's why you, you should use thick black markers on a whiteboard um, you don't want to overcommit, but to really just start thinking about um, how you empathize with the user within that environment um, so yeah i i you know those are, i think me personally those are two tools i would use after business model validation but I think it just really depends on the set circumstances and scenarios, and the more tools that you have in your holster, the better. Um, you know, I, I've probably got a couple others dealing more with kind of the documentation of end of things as well. But I find those two to be most effective—just kind of um, sketching or um, you know, designing critical paths.
0: Yeah, yeah. As you say, it's amazing what can happen when you just get into a room and you've got the markers and you're there with the people that are going to be involved in making decisions and why not start drawing things out so everyone could do that right yeah. you don't have to be a designer to to sketch stuff uh oh yeah i mean yeah. you know
1: tell everybody you know I, I mean i always go through that too like can you draw a circle yes can you draw a square <laughs> yes can you draw a triangle yes okay then you <laughs> so you can yeah. draw
0: 100 yeah. percent yeah, and it's amazing what you can find out. I mean, even in just in just like an hour, hour and a half session, if you're in a meeting or in a virtual meeting, perhaps, you could be doing it um, from home in front of a computer. That could possibly work. Uh, but, yeah, as you say, We're just sketching things now, out.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, right.
1: I mean, yeah, speaking of being all virtual now, I really recommend getting a gigantic whiteboard if you can. I mean, especially right now more than ever. I have – it's, it's going to be hung up today. I've got a six by four that is going on the wall behind me. That's excellent, and,
0: uh, yeah, it's
1: needed. I think now more than ever, it's yeah. uh, gear up. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, getting back to what you were saying, just kind of repeating, um, me. I, you know, I think the the common thread through whatever tool you use is that group collaboration, you know? And that, of course, like, you want to go farther back, it's all about building those relationships, right? So
0: yeah definitely definitely yeah collaboration bringing people together and then fleshing out those ideas early on and then you can sort of start to get a picture of if it's going to work or if it's not going to work um and then do you would you also have developers at that point working with you to flesh those ideas out
1: yeah um you know i think it kind of depends who um you know definitely within I think within more like an agency environment or even um, potentially a startup environment, your probably your easiest access is probably going to be a UI developer because that's most likely who, as a designer, you're going to be paired with. Um, but you know, when you're in a larger organization like us, um, you know, I've been pretty lucky. I mean, first of all, it's just a very collaborative environment I'm in currently. But the other thing is, is that because um, folks within the development setting, uh, get the the resources to dedicate them to us, we're able to get some of the um, more senior management within those uh, areas in there. um, And to help us out and then um, heads of production as well within the development sphere. So I mean, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, yes, short answer is yes, it's important to have development there. I think it's, you know, the important part is uh, who from development is there with you. So I don't think someone who is necessarily um, running, you know, the background infrastructure is going to be like your ideal candidate. I, I could be wrong. I mean, I've worked on one piece of software that was 40 years old. So in order to connect any new in- interface for it, we definitely needed our background developers. So see, I've already contradicted myself. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, sh- long story short is yes. I mean, that's your team, right? Like. Uh, you, need, you need your developers there. I think that, the, again, getting back to kind of, you know, one kind of one order of magnitude back, I think it's really important to develop those relationships with the developers too. Um, because I think, you know, especially because of agile, uh, people think, it, you know, especially when you're talking to developers, everything is in terms of productive time. And so, um, you know you need to be able to speak that language and i so i think it's really important to um have that connection there because then what you get is sort of someone who thinks in terms of productive design also thinking in the context of a designer when they're involved
0: makes sense yeah and we have this project and there's a lot of really heavy data going on in the uh not in the process of us designing it but it was really important that we were aware of that stuff and um and and yeah as you say so that there were days when we couldn't disturb the developers we couldn't because they were building yeah. stuff you know there had, there had to be set days when they were not going to be pulled away into a meeting um but at the same sure. time it was really important that, on this particular project that because of you know how data heavy it was and they were such a big part of of building it that they were involved and it was amazing because, you know, when you have the, the UX team, there's there's all these kind of ideas, but they come in read down to earth. What about we just do this, this, and that? And that's just a very, that, that's a much more logical way of doing it. It's like, actually, yeah, actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's moments. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no. And I think, you know, and, and I mean, even as UX designers, man, I think it's really easy for, obvious, for us to become a bubble. I mean, there's this there's this constant drive towards minimalism and simplicity that we seem to have. And, uh, someone gave gave me this quote a while back that said, well, you know, uh, unicycle is more minimal than a bicycle that doesn't make it more practical. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so I think, I think it's really kind of important to get out of that black hole. And certainly, um, if you've got good devs and, and good product development along your side, uh, you know, they'll disabuse you of any precious design notions pretty quickly, if not the user themselves, when you take something to test it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's always the ultimate test, right? Um, yeah. But then, then um, as you say, once, once you've built those relationships and, and the developers uh, feel like, you know, they've got their time and, and they're um, being involved, but not so much that they're going to miss out on doing their actual work. Yeah. It tends to work quite well. Um, what about on the other end? So let's say, let's say for example, okay, you've got uh, a more senior stakeholder that's perhaps a bit more stuck in his ways, and mm. for one reason or another, he doesn't want to get involved. How do you how do you invest in the business? Somebody like that doesn't want um, invest in the processes that might be required to validate an idea or to uh, to work through things like that
1: so you went out a little bit but i think basically the question is, is how do you get involvement and buy-in from someone who's a little more setting their ways and probably on a bit of a power trip because of their position that's the one <laughs> okay um hmm. well i mean does it <laughs> nielsen norman group actually has a really good one day conference on just this subject um, getting buy-in, which I, I forgot the name of the woman who teaches it, but she's fantastic. Um, and I think, you know, and, and, and that really helped me with some kind of streamline some of my approaches. So it kind of depends on who we're talking about and what their particular power trip is, right? So I think one guy that, I, you know, one type I've dealt with fairly often is, just because of startups um, is the, I don't have time for this persona right um of course what happens is is they don't have time for it until you present it and then it all gets devastated and there's weeks worth of work there. so um that i think is a little more of a psychological game there is um this sort of concept of showing people the best idea last and in my experience that's actually worked from uh, strategically and getting something accepted um when you're dealing with that sort of startup demagogue, I guess you'd call them, Um, you know, uh, and I find that to be purely strategic. I think, you know, in the intermediary, in the intermediary period between uh, designing and showing something, it's a good idea to sort of get input or make contact with that person's lieutenants and have them sort of sneak it under the door for them so that'll get you some stuff i think the other thing you can do um everyone's got slack nowadays keeping an open design channel with that person on it um, can be a a big help Um, you know my experience has taught me too that like the best way you, you can never prevent an earthquake but you can always prepare for one and so i think you know when you're dealing with someone like that it's good to either by yourself or as a team, depending on who you are, um, think about all the potential things that could go wrong when showing off this design, right? So really look at like, okay, well, you know, do we have requirements? What questions do we have unanswered? Um, You know, what input have we isolated that we actually need from this person? Um, And so you can utilize that to, um, you know, get your thoughts on paper, obviously, but also as a way to identify where you still need help um, and and correlate that into something that's a little more, you know, hopefully orderly and maybe and hopefully less of a big, you know, a big push. So then you can annoy that person or their lieutenants with the questions that you have. Um, You can post that elsewhere to see if someone else has that information, maybe in development, maybe in business development and so forth. Um, So that's for that particular type. The, um, you know, the other one is, I guess like kind of the opposite pole for that is sort of the micromanager. Um, Generally at that level, I find tends to bounce in and out. Um, You know, that's a hard one (laughs) because you're dealing with personality ultimately. Uh, One thing that NNG has suggested is, you know, basically building some sort of sinecure or white elephant, right? I've heard it called a big blue boat too. So give them something that's not going to blow up in everybody's faces to make them feel important. If you got like younger siblings that wanted to play with you and your older friends, you know, the strategy already, right? You're going to be my extra special agent. And I need you to go away. You know? <laughs> so yeah, He's the hide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to go play hide and seek and you're going to hide in the basement. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's that sort of strategy again. I mean, I think, you know, like, and this is not, to say you need, you should be uh, condescending or, you know, spiteful of this person, but I think you need to get the heat off you and you need to address the questions as well. Um, And so I think, you know, that sort of big blue boat concept works really well. Um, I would say also in those situations, just building out a Racy to see where, you know, a Racy chart to see where your sort of uh, points of insulation from this person are as well so that you can call on those resources when it's time to um, do any sort of intensive activity, whether it's production or conceptualization or so forth. Now, the other other one that I wanna speak to that we don't talk about is when something arbitrary gets handed down when you're right in the middle of something else. So you've got some C-suite that says, hey, stop everything, I need you to do this for me, right? And I've seen all kinds of advice on this and none of it's really good. And I think, again, this is something that where preparation really wins the day. And I can tell you right now that I've had more than one of those experiences and your best friend in those situations is research and development, UX research and development rather, not R&D. And the reason for that is, is that a lot of times you have no choice. You've got to drop everything and just do it, right? But if you've got a relationship with researchers, they can they can prove pretty quickly or disprove pretty quickly that the idea is not a good one. And if you got development, they can start talking, development can talk numbers to that person who's coming in and sort of upending everything. And so those relationships help build a very quick turnaround on what could be an otherwise very disruptive and months long situation. And that's why I say it's kind of like earthquake preparedness, right? Like, you wanna have your water, your list of people you're communicating with, some place to shelter. You wanna have your needs taken care of first so that you can turn around and help others quickly. And that's kind of that scenario. But I mean, and honestly, that third type of persona, for lack of a better term, is the one that I've run into more than anything. Be it, you know, Besides like your kind of, general micromanager and that's more of a issue of human psychology than necessarily any practical designs you know designer strategic skills ah, water
0: yeah no no i hear what you're saying yeah sure. yeah so the the third one being the um the one who wants to, to leave it or do whatever it is that he or she wants in that that particular moment it's funny how you mentioned that. So you're kind of preparing for, for an earthquake or like an apocalypse. Yeah. Like, you know where the yeah. the people are you need to have connections with. <laughs> so you can, you know... That's what I'm saying. Involved. Be a prepper. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Build your underground bunk- bunker and stock weapons. That's what I really...
0: <laughs> <mean>. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> the end
1: is nice. I don't know. I mean, how much have you experienced that on your own? I mean, obviously... Yeah, you've, yeah. Not, you know, yeah, no, I
0: definitely have had had uh, so when when the um when decision making comes from from somebody in that position that that has that on on the ux team or a person in that ux team that might be leading a project and they have to stop doing that can be really um frustrating and i think it's sort of um it doesn't really make you feel good you know like, like you have this thing you're you're working on you're building together and then for some reason it's it's not being uh, value, valued in the same way that you think it should by somebody in a, in a position that is sort of wielding their power in a way that might not be the best thing for the project that you're building. Yeah, no, for sure. Same.
1: I think larger, I think the bigger issue too, is that like, I just on a work life balance, usually those circumstances tend to be tremendously obtrusive, right? So it's like you've been working your normal nine hours a day or whatever, you know, Um, On a project for months. So you got a good head of steam and then someone comes in with a wrecking ball and says hey We need this by next week, right? That throws, Especially you got a family that throws your entire life out of balance Um, Mm. And you know, so I think that's why that preparedness part is really important
0: Absolutely. Yeah being prepared for it. Mm. Hey, so um, When it comes to so uh, you see you mentioned you've done a lot of work in SAS and and these types of you know uh, different types of software well, what is what is the thing that you've enjoyed doing the most? Well, what is the the project that you're most proud of, of of working on?
1: Man, I don't know. You know, I've really um, I've really come to not be so. I mean, I think everybody sells this, says this. So I hope it doesn't sound cliche, but like I don't really care about the style of something so much as the substance, right? So if it's an interesting problem, even if it's you know how you wash potatoes on a processing line. Like if there's something, you know, I mean, you know, it's look, you're not gonna, you're not gonna like, you know, get any dates out of it. Like if you're single, but you know, if it's interesting, um, if it's got some meat, that's always attractive, attractive me. Um, I don't know that I have any single thing that I'm most proud of. Um, just because each thing has such a unique problem that sort of, uh, you know the solution and the ability to deal with that has kind of like created better understanding and 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 uh, professional resilience in me you know but i do think um that one that i was talking about i mentioned earlier where we had to integrate with a piece of software that was literally written in COBOL, which for those of you who don't know i believe was the first programming language so that tells you how far back it goes i mean it was literally an application where the developers for it for the language were dying um, because it's so old. Um, that integration and integrating that with not only a modern interface, but also integrating that with Okta was, I can't even tell you how Herculean lift. And to have been involved in that and not just address those problems, but in the process, uh, be able to create kind of ancillary tools that were useful to other products within our team um, or you know, within the design org in general, was um, you know pretty heartening. I mean, it was a pretty, it, it was a pretty, heart, you know, it was a moment of pride. It was, a, it was awesome. a real, it felt like a real accomplishment. You know, I mean, you're dragging, you know, you're dragging this boulder for years, and you know, it's like, well, you know, simplest answer, let's scrap the system. You know, but we just couldn't do that, just given who our clientele was. Mm. <laughs> that being said. <clears throat> um given the project and its nature it's ripe for being disrupted too but so i hope my work doesn't get destroyed by someone with a better idea <laughs> In a, simple, in a simple concept anytime soon because i do go back and check it out occasionally <laughs>
0: sure <clears throat> yeah hey uh jacob i feel like i could ask you questions for literally a- i can't believe it's already been an hour it's, it's crazy um <clears throat> Uh, this is oh, wow, really, nice. really interesting. Yeah, uh, it's been super cool. Uh, where where can people find you online to find out more about you?
1: So finding me online, um, obviously I'm at uh, on LinkedIn. So it's Jacob-Harris-UX. Uh, I'm also at UXUS.ES, which is UX uses. Um, not the most usable name, it turns out. People get completely confused when I tell that to them. Um and yeah i mean i've got a couple more articles in the pocket that as soon as um you know newborn life slows down i'm planning on putting out there um i know we um i kind of talked agile a little bit and i had written an article that's gotten a lot of traction about five years about integrating agile uh into the design process um, especially if you're the lone horseman at the organization and design I've actually got some updates on that, Um, some repudiation of some of the old ideas, but also some modification of ways that we can make better. So look out for that.
0: Um, Great. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm around. Is that coming out soon? The uh, the new article,
1: Uh, I'm writing it right now. You know, I mean, you should ask my daughter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, I'm yeah, I'm hoping within the next three months or so, I'll have something out. there.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, no, no, family takes the priority for sure. (laughs) Amazing. Finally, um, UX Consulting Academy is an online resource for UX consultants. My last question for you, Jacob, for anyone listening that wants to make uh, UX research more a part of their process, especially in uh, business model validation, doing that type of work, if that's their interest, what actions can they take right now?
1: So I would say you know i I mean i don't know how much it costs anymore it's fairly inexpensive when i first hop on that train but the online course um, through strategizer is really excellent um you know some of it is um just kind of overall conceptual stuff but then they start getting to the nuts and bolts and the other thing i would say is join the interaction design foundation i mean most companies will pay for it for you if you've got some sort of ongoing education budget and I think most people would be surprised how many organizations have that available. Um, otherwise it's $150 a year. And I mean, they're a world you know, it's, it's, it's basically the great courses plus for interaction design. So you've got Oxford courses on there and everything, but you've also got really excellent practical articles. Um, and, and that gets into the real fundamentals of design thinking, which are really just what they're doing within the business model validation structure. So I think, those two tools are really valuable. Uh, I still am on IDF at least once a month, um, taking courses, reading, whatever. There's, it's it's a pretty inexhaustible um, supply of just great knowledge. Um, you know, and then of course, there's a lot of free resources out there. Um, you know, UX, look man, we're UX designers, we got ideas, we're writing essays all the time, right?
0: So. <laughs> Absolutely great stuff jacob thank you so much really really great
1: yeah absolutely you have a good one